0: Hello everybody, welcome back to the podcast. Brian O'Hangisa, how are you doing today?
1: Well, I'm good, Mr McAloon. I'm um, looking forward to the podcasting. Um, I'll be away next week, of course, and the week after, so there'll be no...
0: And, w- and what might you be doing, you boy, you?
1: Well, I'm going, remember we sent you down to the Amalfi Coast to sort <laughs> out earlier in the year and you know, considering all that went well, said, right, we'll go down. The scouts have, have signed off on it, so I'll, go, go, I'll take a trip down there. So, yeah, we're, myself and Fee are gone. It'll be Fee's birthday while we're there, so that's the, the main point of the trip and the timing. And, um, mm-hmm. yeah, so look forward to it. Looking forward to a bit time off. Know yourself. It's good to refresh and recharge. The weather's looking nice. You know, kind of, low of kind of 16, 17, high of like 25, 26, last I checked. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. Tasty. Yeah.
1: Literally.
0: As well the, the, the pizza and the pasta. <laughs> <laughs> the,
1: the famous lemons down there. It's all about the lemons and seafood, it seems. So, mm. yeah. so, what are we talking about today, Dean?
0: Today, we're going to be talking about how to be a good coach, and the i suppose to give people an idea of what it's like to get coached by us our coaching philosophy i feel like we have done a little bit of content and podcasts around this in the past but um maybe not a full podcast specifically honing in on here's the actual things that we really consider when working with a variety of different people because i think like as, as we've discussed, like, of air, um, you know, we do mentoring and stuff like that. And, you know, I, f- I find that coaches are pretty decent at learning ar- about the Krebs cycle and, you know, the the metabolic considerations around exercise and all of this kind of stuff. But, The sort of the soft skills, the communication skills, the coaching psychology—it's a little bit trickier for people to grasp. Um, partially because the um certifications don't do a very good job of teaching coaches this either. I find, um, at least most of them. Pretty cool. You
1: did. How was it in that in that context? I don't. I don't actually know myself. I,
0: I don't recall any. Like for my personal training course, I don't recall any lectures or modules or any word ever been mentioned about, oh, here's how you actually deal with humans mm. in, a, in a way that like, you know, helps them get results. It's like, here's, all, here's like nutrition information. Here's like information around exercise and how to execute form correctly. And then we had like one, one day where we talked a little bit about business, which is another glaring problem you know like coach like personal trainers need to be able to do business and marketing correctly or else you know they're just not going to go anywhere and that's why we have a a high churn rate with with personal trainers but no there's there's basically none of this stuff and and a lot of it is because um i suppose a lot of it is lended from psychology um and you know communications overall and i actually think that since since I've been in the industry for six years now, working in it for six years, I would say that you would be much better served getting a good foundational knowledge of nutrition and exercise and then really going hard on getting a strong idea of coaching psychology, communications, et cetera. Like obviously we'll, we'll get into the reasons behind that in this podcast, but yeah, if I was to do it all again, I would probably spend... Slightly less time at the front end learning the nutrition stuff. Like, obviously, Mm -hmm. that's still important to have a good depth of knowledge. But I think, like, one of the reasons that when I did my nutrition cert, why a lot of people thought it was as good as it was, was because module four of that cert was all about this stuff. And people were like, it blew people's minds because it's like, this is fucking awesome. I've never, like, came across a lot of this stuff.
1: Mm yeah no it's it's critical and i mean that's basically what we're going to talk about like what elements and characteristics make up being a great coach right so for any professionals listening to this this is to help you in a professional capacity for anyone who's not a professional it'll give you a taste for what we think about in terms of our coaching because i know we've done a lot of case studies and stuff we haven't i suppose they're dealing with specific specific outcomes and this is more like philosophical and you know the process orientated i suppose but the philosophy of the process more than anything else um yes yeah, so where would you like to start because you know we've both drawn up lists obviously of what we think are, are important points and the you know overlap very closely as you'd expect um but yeah do you want to do you want to take us away
0: yeah so i think like <clears throat> i know i said a little bit about Having, you know, talking about how coaches will tend to learn a lot about the nutrition and the training stuff. They will learn more of that than the coaching psychology stuff. And that, as I said earlier, I would learn more about the coaching psychology stuff at the start. However, with that being said, for you to be a good coach and serve your clients well, you have to have the knowledge to be able to help them. And there's a bit of a trend recently, um, and I, I actually don't think me and you have had, had a chance to talk about this, but there's a bit of a trend recently whereby coaches that are very fresh in the industry are kind of from like out the gate or like marketing and selling services to help people with disordered eating. Mm. And they're woefully not qualified, underqualified to do that. Or maybe their qualification in their mind is, <clears throat> that they have been through a process of going through an eating disorder and getting healing themselves and getting better, which is fantastic and all the rest of it. And it's great, but that does not mean that you are necessarily going to be a good coach or a good practitioner to help someone else do that. Especially if you've never done any proper study or certifications or, you know, delved into, into the process of doing that. Because as I say, like there's a, There's another thing around this whereby just because you've lost weight or just because you've got jacked does not mean that you're necessarily going to be good at helping someone else do that. Now, if the person is a carbon copy of you, yeah, no, no factor, easy money, right? But that's not the case We're we're dealing with, with a variety of different people, different personalities, different circumstances, age, gender, you know, these are all things that are that add degrees of complexity and extra considerations around this stuff. And if you do not have the requisite knowledge from a general understanding, but also from a communications and psychology perspective to help a person, then you probably shouldn't help them. You know, I think like one of the first things that I wrote around my notes around this podcast was first do no harm. So that Mm. comes from the evidence-based medicine, um, evidence-based practice from a medical perspective, but that's first do no harm. Like that should be your first priority. And unfortunately, in this terribly unregulated profession of coaching and personal training, that's often forgotten, especially whenever it comes to like exercise and nutrition recommendations. Often things are recommended that not only don't help people, but actually damage their relationship with food or if it's a case of a personal trainer, getting mary at 65 years old to do a squat and she she's unable to do it you know it's it's kind of like actively to the client's detriment so i think Mm -hmm. the first place is like you want to have a a certain level of confidence in your knowledge base and confidence in in being able to help someone um and if you can't it's totally okay to refer out yeah
1: yeah it's it, it was the first thing on my list as well uh you know i i praise it was kind of quick notes and this is just know what you're talking about um because you know the it's not like in most in the vast majority of cases not like anybody's going out and actively prescribing protocols that they know are going to be detrimental mm. but the detriment is born out of ignorance mm. which is okay you know you just look at most you know most fad diets it's like you know, putting anybody and everybody on like keto or low carb, just because in the to the extent that you've scratched the surface of your understanding of this stuff, that's what you think is best or that's what worked best for you. God forbid, that's what you just give to everyone else. You need to have your knowledge base in order. And you know the I, I do like the the saying that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care, and we'll get into that but you have to know enough to help the person that you're working with and you have to have, and I think like you said there, like, you know, you need to you know have a certain level of confidence and competence to go and help somebody. Um, and something that I would have added in later on is like, you know, your, your confidence, it's an interesting topic to think about the confidence. Like I often, like, as you said, we mentor people. I, have coached an awful lot of coaches uh, in my time working with people and this idea of imposter syndrome or being sort of not quite there in, in their confidence and their abilities and so on and so forth and it's like you probably don't want to rid yourself of that completely you, know, you want to maintain that level of humility you might call it and and like because a certain degree of self-doubt is what's going to drive you to keep expanding your knowledge base right because if you just think you know everything you know it all then you're more inclined to be uh you know at the mercy of of like ignorance and maybe end up not helping people as well as you could so you know I, i don't i don't like i don't like for people to lack that confidence to the extent that it stops them actually helping people um but you also need to be aware and objective about your the limitations and your knowledge and let a bit of that doubt and and drive to be better help you actually to become a better coach you know so like i mean i think i've told this story before possibly on this one of these podcasts but like you know back when i had you know i'd done my degree i'd done one coaching course and then I was talking about doing another coaching course and then I was having this conversation with myself and my friends about like you know am I just doing another course to delay starting to actually work in the industry because I'm lacking confidence in it or in my abilities I should say um, or is it just like oh I actually do just want to you know get some additional knowledge and I think that would be beneficial so like, right, takes a good amount of self-awareness Uh, to look at that but like one of my best friends you know said to me at the time he was like you just need to start actually working with people because if you look at all the absolute nonsense and shit that people are purveying because they're not thinking along those lines like you are you know you're doing everyone a disservice by not by waiting and delaying any longer so like your your knowledge base is infinitely better because you put so much time and effort into actually learning this stuff So go and start making a difference. And that was quite a, yeah, it was quite an impactful conversation and and definitely kind of gave me that nudge that was like, okay, look, I have to, have to get out, get in there and start mixing it up.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like you don't need to be like a lot of people would be, um, and it's funny because Jeremy was the last person on our podcast. um, But a lot of people would be victim of just amassing large volumes of certifications and and German's not a good example because he amasses large volumes of certifications, but then he actually goes and applies it. Whereas some people forget about the apl- application part of it, um, and that's where it's a problem. Like, look at if you are you know a weapon like jeremy and you love just gaining vast amounts of certs and knowledge and all the rest of it, that's grand. But do apply it because as as Brian just said, like you know, what's the point of spending the time and money? amassing this knowledge if you're never going to use it you know and then of course like there are obviously like some sorts like a lot of people can fall into the trap of feeling like they need to go super broad with their knowledge base like oh like say for example in my case like I am unlikely to want to work with say for example women that are pre and post pregnancy right if that type of a client comes in to into the sit into the like they, they, they fill out a triage application we're probably going to send them over to nicola because not only is she more competent but she also like that's the type of client that she would preferentially like to work with whereas i would prefer to work with someone that does brazilian jiu-jitsu which might not be a good client for nicola you know so it's also a case of like don't don't let it scare you off from um implementing and i'm getting out there if you are coaching you're listening to this but do kind of know as you say your limitations who you want to work with the actual categorization of right what do i need to know to help this specific type of person if it's gen pop you probably need to know you know how to do a fat loss phase property how to do maintenance muscle gain how to implement healthy eating habits you know how to help them sleep better etc etc whereas like maybe if you have you know you want to work with athletes then you need, might need to go and do a sports nutrition cert or something to that effect, you know, that so you could sort of like figure out what your specialization is and then hone in on that rather than sort of getting the feeling that, Oh, I need to be able to help all of these people. And then what can either happen is you either get overwhelmed by that or another type of person just sort of dives into it and just says, I work with everyone. And then they get a disordered eating client and they don't, they're not able to serve them properly because they don't have the knowledge. That's actually required to help someone like that. So this is kind of some of the traps that that people fall into. Um, but yeah, not knowledge is key. Um, but the utilization of that knowledge is just as important, is what I would say.
1: Yeah, and what underpins all of this, obviously, and you know, this is it should be kind of obvious, but it's not always the case. So this is actually probably the first point. It was like you actually have to care about your clients you know and you know by virtue of caring about them and wanting to do no harm like we've been talking about there and developing your knowledge base you will go and do that you will make sure that you have the requisite skills to help somebody um but i mean you know it's it's hard for us to grasp but there are people working in the industry who don't really care about the well-being of their clients um And they just want, I remember someone messaged me before and was like, Hey man, uh, I want to start. I like, he had some engineering background or something. He's like, I want to start online coaching and like make as much money as fast as possible in it. And I was like, okay. Uh, like, do you have any sort of inclination of like, you want to do that sort of job? And he's like, no, I just want to have like a remote job where, you know, I get, get well paid for it. And I was like, Uh, you've come you've come you come asking the wrong guy that's wrong question (laughs) yeah like and i was pretty taken aback by it like what are you talking about you fucking idiot like you have to you have to care about helping people you know why why i know why you're doing the job otherwise but it's just it's hard to fathom that people may just not really care that much and it's more just like a means to an end um
0: and this is the problem with the idea of like coaching slash personal training slash the health and wellness industry overall is that people have an idea you know people get into it for the wrong reasons either because they think they're going to be able to make a quick buck or and again i'm not necessarily shitting on these types of people because this is technically where i came from in that they change themselves and thus they they sort of infer that this is going to be a great career for themselves because they lost weight they transformed their body or whatever it is. And I'm not shitting on you if that's you because that's how I got into the industry. I was able to change my existence to some degree through using this stuff. But then you have to sort of realize that, right, okay, this actually takes a lot of time and a great degree of care and and like you know another thing about it is if you're the type of personality that maybe prefers to not have to speak to people you know if, if you're not that you know you're not overly social Um, I don't even want to say introverted because I think like there's some introverted coaches out there that are fantastic but you know if you're just maybe not that much of a you know you can't you potentially don't have the patience to deal with people on like communicating with people on a regular basis then it's potentially not a profession for you as well and, and and as i say which can sort of lead some people down the path of like oh like it's just i'll make a fuckload of money and it'll be grand <laughs> you
1: know? yeah i think it can be a demographic thing as well um in terms of who you're working with like you may get away with having less patience and being like less empathetic and less compassionate and stuff, working with like a bodybuilder or a physique competitor that is a bit more robotic about the process. But at the same time, I would still argue that being a caring, compassionate coach will just make that process better. Like even if that client is is of that demographic. Um And yeah, I mean, I think like I often think, you know, I often think about like what what actually makes us good coaches and like the amount of time that we spend on trying to be better that, you know, you could spend elsewhere is like, it's an inordinate amount of time. And it's not something like that we have to consciously do. It's just sort of habitual almost at this point where like, you you just know you're going to spend time reading stuff. You're going to spend time studying and you're going to spend time getting better because that's just what you do. And that's the type of coach you want to be. You want to be as good as possible. Like, you know, I want ultimately to never have to say to somebody, Oh, I don't think I can help you, you know, outside of, you know, within, within the realm of the areas that I want to work with people on. Like, as you said previously, like, you know, pre and post, natal nutrition maybe not what or training you know maybe not what you want to do then but that's nicola's jam and she she would love to do that right but i don't mean that i mean like within the demographic of people that i want to help i don't want there to ever be a, a situation where i perform poorly as a coach and and can't help the person effectively because that's the kind of stuff that like keeps us up at night like like literally and figuratively like reading fucking papers and things um uh, you know, it's so that's just kind of hardwired. And that's just like, I would expect that of anyone who wants to be really, really good in this industry. But at the same time, I've I've talked to people before who got, say, uh, their PT qualification. They're like, oh, my God, I never have to read anything else again. <laughs> and I'm just, you know, Homer Simpson retreating into the hedges uh, <laughs> at the thought of that. And it's like, it's just, I just can't, I just can't
0: relate at all. It's because it's, it, it's like, oh, you think this is the end? No, friend. This is only the beginning.
1: Yeah, you've you've got your foot in the door at that point. Yeah. Up to you to make sure it doesn't slam shut on you. Yeah. You no. Know? Um yeah. You got to you got to care about helping people and, and want to help them achieve whatever their goals are like their goals become your goals essentially. Um, yeah. And like, yeah. you know, you're a problem solver as well. You have to enjoy solving problems and helping people solve problems. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of fulfillment that comes with that, obviously. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. we're, we're in a fortunate position to say that we love doing the job that we do. And it actually, you know, pays the bills and everything else. And we get a lot of, you know, self-actualization and fulfillment from it. Like as. Not everybody has that. So I'm grateful all the time for that. Um, And it just means you can spend, you know, as much time as you have essentially on getting better and doing the job
0: well. For sure. For sure. Like I I always think of like, you know, even though technically you're my boss, realistically, (laughs) realistically, I have like, 30 plus bosses. You know, my clients are my boss in a sense, you know. And you know, a big part of this is because I think coaches, and this is kind of a segue into the next part of things that I want to talk about, is that coaches, especially whenever they start off, it's very common to see coaches fall into the trap of, oh, I'm the authority here. I know more than you and I'm you're going to you're going to listen to me and I'm going to tell you what you're going to do because you're paying me. Right? And that's actually the wrong angle to come at this from. I think you realistically have to when it comes to developing a really strong relationship with your client, you have to be on level playing field with them, you know? And the way I like to look at this in terms of when I'm talking to clients about this and how I analogize it is, you're the person driving the car, but I'm the satellite navigator. I'm telling you, look, there's a faster route. If you go left here, but if you want to take the route with no tolls, you can do that. And at the end of the day, if you want to veer off into the hedge, you can do that. But I'm going to tell you what I think. Um in terms of what would be a good path for you to go down. But at the end of the day, you're the expert on you. You're the one driving the car. And I'm going to do my utmost to help you get to your destination in as efficient and as safe a way possible. But at the end of the day, it has to be, you know, you can't take the stance that you're the one in the passenger seat and then you take control of the wheel and try and, you know, like imagine like you try and do that like that is a recipe for a fucking disaster whereas if you're the satellite navigator it's you know you're you're giving the person information you're guiding them but fundamentally they're the ones that sort of move in the vehicle and they're the expert they're the expert on them hmm. is is also a very key part of this as well um
1: yeah i mean it, that that kind of like kind of runs almost it might sound contradictory to what we've just been saying, like you have to amass the knowledge and skills to help somebody. But you you essentially have to have the ability to draw up the map and and plan the route for them um, and understand what points will, will appear on that journey and how to navigate them. Um, but yeah, look, you, you don't want to overlook a client's a person's level of self-knowledge and how their life works and how they work because they they've been the one observing that for their whole lives um so yeah it's not a case that you should think you know better than them yes you'll have you'll have the knowledge base that's superior to them but in a lot of cases you help them get out of their own way to achieve the results that they want to achieve you know i can also i can also see some amount of contradiction to this because like you know a lot of our coaching also helps people learn more about themselves like a lot of they gain a lot more self-awareness right um and introspection and that's often quite an important part of the process depending on what type of client you're working with um so yes there there are those elements to it but don't yeah overlook that innate knowledge and skills that that your client has so you know it's it's perfectly fine we'll do it all the time to say you know ask a client or what do you think is the solution to this problem rather than just having to give them the answer and saying here's what you do you know make it a collaborative effort because a lot of time they will have the they will have the know-how all right and i think i think you have noted somewhere there with like your help helping them talk themselves into changing or something something along those lines um
0: yeah yeah it's um like because this is kind of the whole because i'm doing a motivational interviewing course all weekend um which is part of the impetus why i want to do this podcast um and uh like i love motivational interviewing i think if there was one thing excuse me if there was one thing that I think has really sort of uh, been a quantum jump in my ability to sort of help people and communicate. It's been studying motivational interviewing, but like one of the big parts of motivational interviewing is, is that your role as a helper, motivational interviewing is, is comes mostly from therapy, but it has been spread across many domains of profession that involves helping other people but essentially your role is is just to guide them as they talk themselves into change right because um like that's often oftentimes the case like not not always but in many cases people will generally know what they need to do like if it's healthy eating for example you know, this is, this is part of the talk that I did a couple of weeks ago. People often know what a healthy diet looks like. It's like, right, probably should eat more protein, probably should eat more fruit and veg, etc. And they, they may know that, and, and they often do know that. And in many cases, clients will have had previous experiences in their lives where they have successfully implemented a lot of this stuff. But they essentially just want to bounce stuff off you And that's where you can kind of come in and sort of say, oh, like that's, that's interesting or, um, in a sense, potentially answering questions that they may have or getting them in a direction that you feel might be, might be a little bit more beneficial, but fundamentally at the end of the day, especially, you know, if you're, if you're kind of in this fitness industry coaching sphere. Typically speaking, a client is coming to you with a higher level of motivation to change versus, you know, someone that's uh, in a different industry or in a different scenario. Say, for example, like with regards to addiction and stuff like that, where, which is where motivational interviewing comes from. But typically the person that comes to you, they'll, became, they'll, they'll have a readiness to change that's, that's quite high and they will have some level of uh, perspicacity, I suppose, with what they need to do. And oftentimes it it can be about like teasing some of that out of them in a sense, because you might have a load of ideas and it's like, oh, like, here's what I think you should do. And uh, like, again, a a fresh coach would be like, I know how to implement a calorie deficit and and I know how to help people do this in a way that's flexible and um, volume eating and all this kind of stuff. So, Mary, um, here's a bunch of information. And it's like Mary's just like, whoa, 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 too much, too much. Now, she might not say that, but that's what she's kind of thinking. Whereas from a motivational interviewing perspective and a sort of a, a a more client-centered way of coaching, it could be a case of having a conversation with Mary, delving into her knowledge base, what she already knows, having a conversation with her about what she thinks might be a good way to proceed, reflecting back some of her ideas, Potentially if there's certain things that you feel as the coach might not be just as useful as other things, voicing some of those concerned at, at certain points. But fundamentally, you're directing her towards certain things that she she kind of has made the decision on herself. And 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 when it comes from that place, when a client sort of feels like they have been part of the process, either 50 50 or more towards like they're the one that has made the, the the decision and they're the one that's come up with the ideas the chances of them implementing and maintaining a behavior change is an order of magnitude more than if you had to come in and just fired a bunch of information at them and them sort of looking at you like yeah i'm gonna do that and then like four weeks down the line you're kind of like why the fuck is she not doing all this stuff should i told her all of this stuff and it's is it not pure easy like you know and this is why it gets frustrating for for new coaches because they have a bunch of this information and it's like bam here's all this information um whereas if you had to took that more relaxed approach to things and sort of made the client really part of the process results happen as a consequence and it's much easier
1: yeah you're, pre- you're preserving a lot of their autonomy in the process rather than just telling them what to do. And I often say, you know, that it's not enough just to tell someone what to do. You also have to help them figure out ideas and how to implement it, Right. Because you have to remember as a, as a coach, this stuff is for the most part, a lot easier for you than it is for the people you're going to be working with. So while it seems very basic as in like, what do you mean? You, you, struggle to eat enough protein right. on a daily basis. Like you, you just should do it. Like it's, it's, you know, you want to, you want to, you know, lose fat and, and get in better shape and, and have a better diet. Like it just seems so obvious, but you have to help someone get to that point, not just say, Hey, go and do this. And then you leave them there. So yeah, you have to help them come up with solutions and help them figure out ways that they can do that in their lifestyle. And then you know that, and that comes down to having understand a good understanding of their lifestyle and who they are as a person, and that comes back to they know that a lot better than you do. So, one of the the features of a great coach that I have listed is your ability to ask good questions and figure this stuff out. And you know, we'll agree because you know, a lot of uh, excuse me, a lot of motivational interviewing is a a lot of asking questions, right? Asking open ended questions, um actively listening and collecting things back to people and helping to, under, helping, helping to show that they're being understood and also that you actually get a better understanding of them. So, yeah, I think asking good questions is one of the most useful skills to have as a coach, right? So it can be as simple as the difference between like, why didn't you eat your protein this week? You know, that that's not a good question, um, but being more explorative and more curious about it and actually wanting to meet them at the level of like, OK, what's going on in this person's life that they're struggling with this? Like, you know, what do you think the limiting factors were for hitting your protein intake this week? What do you think we can do about those? Do you have any ideas? Um, I'd be keen to hear what what you think about that. All right. So. Essentially, the same question, but put in two very different ways. Um, and as you said earlier, Dean, like a lot of the coaching process is giving someone space to sound off and, and bounce ideas off you. Um, and I think, like I think, the the structure that you get from coaching is is really important because in a lot of cases, people maybe don't know where to start, and then that paradox of choice, I suppose, stops them ever trying to intervene because they have so many options you know it's like okay i want to go on a fat loss diet and i need to change my diet but now there's there's so many ways i could do that so having a coach can can obviously help direct that because again you have the map um and you know in in some cases as well people just won't know maybe not won't know the answer you know people with ibs who come to work with us they may not have a clue where to start with that. All they know is that they have IBS and certain foods seem to give them pro- problems, um, which in its is in, in itself informative. Um, but you know, that's where having the skills and the knowledge base really comes in handy because, you know, in that case, you're really not going to say, like, okay, what do you think we should start with here? Um, and you need to be more more direct. So it does depend on the case. But yeah, I think a huge part of my success as a coach comes down to asking good questions and giving people space to answer those questions and then reflect and or listen and reflect back and and help them understand the situation as much as you're understanding the situation.
0: Hmm. And I think it's good communication skills overall. Like if you're listening to this and you're a coach you're obviously going to take a lot from this. But if you're not a coach and you just want to communicate better with people asking better questions is actually like that's pretty fundamental overall because the way i like to look at it in terms of like there are three ways that you can question a person or a client that will um have a different outcome even though fundamentally the essence of the question might be the same so you have as brian said the open question so that could be something like tell me more about your diet you have the closed question which is some, which is basically like a yes no answer it's like, do you eat breakfast? Yes. Ra- versus, tell me more about your diet, or tell me more about your breakfast. And then, of course, you have another type, which is leading questions. Which, um, you know, like a lot of these, like like closed questions and leading questions. Most of the time, you want to avoid them, but they do they do have their place in some capacities. But a leading question would be, um, do you eat breakfast? Um. At 12 p.m., where you're sort of leading them towards a an answer, um, or uh, I suppose giving them an expectation, or or sort of setting them up in a way that leads them towards an expectation that you have, um, so that's why you generally want to avoid those type of questions. Whereas with if you with an open question, tell me more about that. Um, what's your thoughts on this? Um, tell like how do you feel about X, Y, Z? So you're you're sort of giving them a forum to really go into a lot more depth in terms of their answer. And what that does then, obviously that opens up a lot more from a perspective of other routes that you could go down. Whereas if it's a case of, do you eat breakfast? Yes. Okay. (laughs) Where do we go from here? Next question. Um, And you know, it can kind of sometimes, Coaches will will fall into the trap, and this has happened to me before in the past, whereby it ends up being more of like an interrogation or like a kind of, you're just sort of firing off closed questions. And it's like, do you like Coca-Cola? No. Do you eat breakfast? Yes. And it's, you know, it doesn't actually really, first of all, it doesn't give you anything really to go off in terms of, or it doesn't give you anything most of the time to go off that's actually useful. But it also doesn't do a very good job of building the relationship with the client, because as I say, like as a coach, in one element of the like in one way, you are going to have to do some information gathering, and I also think that like if you are a coach, you should have like a questionnaire kind of thing going, um, because that's going to do a lot more of the sort of the front end information gathering. But most of the time, realistically, when you're communicating with the client, it's, it is about building that relationship and giving them a sense that I can trust this person. They are able to help me. I feel like I can be honest with this person. Because that that's very, very key as well. Like, you know, a big part of developing a good coach-client relationship is creating an environment where they feel like, okay, I can actually tell this person what not not what they want to hear, but what's actually going on. Because if they get a sense that, you know, you have this sort of authoritarian style of doing things and, you know, you're very information-based and you're getting all these closed questions of them and then maybe you're firing information at them, that can almost create a sense where it's like, right, okay, I can't really be open with this person. And also whenever they do give you feedback about something because they don't feel like they can be honest with you, that they tell you what you want to hear rather than what's actually going on. And thus that doesn't help them at all because you're not actually getting a realistic representation of what, their life looks like and if there's particular behavior change that you're trying to implement whether or not that's actually they're having trouble or not with that behavior change
1: yeah and that's a super shit position to be in for you and your client because you're going to be frustrated that they don't seem to be getting the results because you're not getting that clear picture of what's going on um and they're going to not get the results because they can't tell you what's going on so then you actually can't help them properly so yeah like developing a relationship that allows them to be honest and open because on the other side you are objective and non-judgmental like they should get a sense for that but it's also no harm to tell people like early on in the process look I'm not going to judge here so I want you to be open as open with me as possible because that's going to help me help you um to the best of my ability so and like because a lot of people are also coming from uh they're also coming from experiences that they've had that aren't that they're coming from these kind of authoritarian drill sergeant critical judgmental people that kind of you know trying to use kind of fear and negative emotions and shame and things to actually get results which you know can work in the short term but it doesn't doesn't work out long term and obviously it doesn't you don't feel good along the way either um so by having that open and and honest relationship you'll you'll just have yeah you'll have a forum a platform for actually helping this person to to the full capacity of your abilities because like it's it's just it's just a it's just a joke. Like if the person's on the other side and they know they're not telling you everything, and you're just there on the other side pulling your hair out because you, you can't figure out what's going wrong. Um it's it's an awful situation to be in. Um and like that that can that trust and 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 stuff can take it depends on the person, it can take longer to build some people, you know, before they'll start to open up. But I do find that you know, people like the anonymity. Of having this coach that they can talk to about almost anything um like they don't know them they don't know anything about their lives um basically all that all your client tells you is is what you have to go on so um i in my experience you can develop that pretty fast and and people will be open you open about things pretty quickly It's it's not the kind of thing you can force but Setting those kind of ground rules at the start can be really useful. So, look, this is how I view this. I mean, this is part of the points of you know, this podcast, like this is how we view our roles as coaches, you know, non-judgmental in the passenger seat with you in your corner, so to speak, trying to help you get the best out of yourself and for yourself. Um, and not to worry about, you know, making us look good and and please be open and honest about. Anything that comes up, because then we can actually serve you better, which is what we're what you're paying us for,
0: yeah, yeah, like I think and a part of that also comes down to as a coach, not always focusing super heavily on the fact that this person is paying you for coaching in a sense that like the only reason that they have you is for this information. You know, like there is a, there's, there's some people out there that will, that will say, Oh, you should never become friends with your clients. And I think that that's fucking nonsense. Right. Like I actually think that getting to know your clients really well, getting to know their interests, their family. Like I was try and figure out, like ask my clients what the names are, of their kids and of their wives and husbands and their pets and the stuff that they like to do and their preferences of things. Because first like first of all, that, that sort of it builds that relationship and obviously builds that trust. And then that sort of environment unfolds where they can actually be totally open and honest with you. Um, but also it kind of, it gives you a better way of tailoring things to them when it does come to your nutrition advice, you know, because like if you're properly listening to your client and he says, I went out I went out with the wife there on Saturday and uh we, we went to this, this sushi place. I fucking hated it. It was rotten. I hate sushi. And then, you know, if you're not listening correctly, and then like three weeks down the line you say, So I was thinking that we would get you to eat some fish. <laughs> you know, like these are kind of the things that you do need to have some level of, okay, I'm trying to get to know what this person is like, who this person is, Um, because then you can sort of, like, as I say, you you can tailor your recommendations to them, um, and you can also take into account, like, obviously, when you're coaching someone, you're going to have, there's going to be other people in their lives that's going to be influences on them, the the sort of the the social element of their lives so if you can kind of get a better idea of what that looks like you know it makes it it makes it easier to sort of brainstorm ideas you know like say for example if it's you have a parent as a client or sorry your your client is a parent so you might have to think of right considerations around okay what their routine looks like in relation to their kids or what, what their routine looks like in relation to their partner. And then you might have to brainstorm ideas around, okay, what's an appropriate time for them to do meal prep or is it appropriate for them to do meal prep? And you know all of these different things where if you sort of kind of take this very cold approach where it's like you don't get to know the client and who they are and what type of a life they live and you just sort of say, yeah, here's your meal plan, go at it. And you don't consider the fact that, well, that's actually not going to be very effective for that person because, you know, they have all this, you know, for example, like maybe you sort of give them a very intensive meal plan that requires all this considerations. And in reality, if you had have actually properly got to know that person and developed a relationship with them and found out the different aspects of their life, you would have realized that there's actually only like there's like three or four little habits it's going to be super effective for this person that fits into their lifestyle really well and that's actually something that they can adhere to correctly that they would enjoy doing that has a result for them. Sure, it might not be as as good of a result if they had of adhered to the super, this mad meal plan or this super descriptive, detailed plan of attack that you had lined out for them, but they were never going to adhere to that anyway. You know, like that's kind of like, whereby if you if you create something that's super complicated for somebody in an ideal world if they if they if they applied that to their lives yeah they'd get some great results but you know in in many cases it's it's not going to happen it's not going to be compatible with the client whereas as i say if you sort of meet them where they are and tailor something that's a little bit more conservative and more in line with who they are what they need what their preferences are, the considerations around their life in terms of like social support, et cetera. They're more likely to adhere to it than get results. And then that sort of creates a little bit of momentum for them as well. You know, like I think a big part of another big trap that coaches fall into is they feel like, oh, only recommending that the client does two or three small habit changes. So that's not going to make much of a result. That's not going to have much of an effect. And it's like, well, you, you might not, you, you might be, you might be right there. Okay. It might not make much of an effect across like a, a couple of weeks, but you have to look at it kind of on a longer time frame, and what's actually realistic for, for the client as well. You know, like it has to be a case of what, what's, what's realistic for them. Like if, you, if you're, if you're doing a goal setting exercise with them, the smart goal setting as it's called, Specific, measurable, achievable, realistic, time bound, you know, taking all these things into consideration. Um, because when you do that, the client feels like, right, okay, this is, this is very manageable for me. Um, and even if it's like very, very small 1% improvements over time, that will start to compound into the big improvements and the big results that you're looking for even though it is, of course, very tempting to sort of throw all the knowledge at them and try and get them to get it all done within three or four weeks. But this is kind of where patience comes into it as well as, as a coach.
1: Yeah, must be some longevity to your plan, right? Um, and if you can get people to form those kind of habits gradually, they'll they'll probably stick. You reminded me of something um, when you mentioned that sushi <laughs> The sushi example but like yeah you need to keep notes of of things about your clients like you should have reasonably detailed notes i keep detailed notes on you know the initial questionnaire but then also things that we discuss week to week like so check notes for every check-in that i do with everybody basically um because you know if if you know that somebody is vegan or you know or that's probably not not the not as as practical example say vegetarian right and they they eat fish but they don't eat eggs and you know you you see that they need to you know improve their protein intake or something and like a few weeks down the line it's it's not improved and you're like oh look you can try eating some eggs or something as part of the recommendations so you know if you go and tell someone oh great protein sources are eggs meat uh and, and things like that, that, they don't actually eat, then they're going to have to come back to you Like, um, well, I'm a, I'm a vegetarian, I'm a pescatarian. Remember, um, it just looks unprofessional and it is unprofessional. You know, um, I understand that a lot of coaches work with a lot of people. Right. So you have to have ways of remembering. Um, and, and that's what you talked about in terms of developing that relationship and getting to know them. Like that helps create a nice picture of, that that's that's that person you know in your mind um and you can kind of you can kind of picture what their life looks like rather than just having like the name and the metrics and that's it um it happens to me an awful lot where <laughs> i laugh because like people people will message me that i might have worked with um and they'll say things like oh hi, brian you may not remember me but you know we work together you know it may not even be that long ago. Sometimes it's a long time ago. Sometimes it could be a few years. Um, sometimes it's like a few weeks. <laughs> I'm like, what do you what do you think I'd be doing? Like that. I like you finished you finished working with me like four weeks ago, and like I've forgotten you. Um, absolutely not. And like, you know, people are often quite impressed by uh how much I can recall from their life and what their life is like. Um Even if it is if it even it has been a very long time. And you know, it's only because I've kept those detailed notes. Not that I refer back to them, but in the process of keeping those, you just develop that picture of that person. You're not inclined to forget. Uh as easy. Yeah, like
0: like I, I am the type of person that my memory is quite good. And especially for stuff related to clients, I can kind of get away with not having to jot everything down in a consultation in fact i actually don't take notes in a consultation anymore like all of my consultations i will essentially do a review afterwards and send them a post consultation email with all the bullet points but if you're not like if you are the type of person that maybe feels like oh fuck i could i could be at risk of forgetting things here then as brian says do take the notes because that could be the difference between you having a very awkward interaction with a client <laughs> that that affects their perception of you um and like it could be the difference between that or you remembering something that's like that they weren't expecting you to remember and then it's like oh that's actually fucking class that he remembered that you know whatever it was in 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 my life that i had this going on or you know what whatever maybe um an occasion or something to do with their family or whatever it is you know people love that people love all that stuff like i think this is this is what i was saying to um one of the girls in the gym um, one of the days we were just talking about this kind of stuff. And, you know, oftentimes, you know, if you're a personal trainer listening to this, a lot of people will be like, Oh, you're just a rep counter. And it's like, if that's all, if that's, if that's all that you bring to the table, then you're not really going to have that much of a big list of clients. If that's all you can offer. Whereas oftentimes people are some like, I remember my personal training days, like some people used to come in and just, vent on me and it's like you're, you're 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 you've paid for an hour of venting plus a little bit of exercise on the side <laughs> you know and people just love having someone to talk to and as, as Brian was saying earlier like if you can create that honest environment like clients will tell people have told me things that they would not tell their husband and wives
1: yeah same
0: um and I think if you can create an environment for that where they can be they, they feel like they have someone like that that they can come come and open up to. Your value then skyrockets. Your stock price goes way up. Um, and that's kind of like completely divorced from oh, you know all of the different substrates that's involved in the process of the Krebs cycle, which people is the people think that's the stuff that you need to remember. And it's like, no, no one gives a fuck about that. Or most people don't. But they do give a fuck about the fact that you're the type of person that they can come to and have conversations about and make them feel like, you know, make, make them feel, you know, oftentimes in, in ways reminding them of, of the fucking how awesome they are sometimes as well. Like, you know, that, that's a big that's a big thing that I always like to do with my clients, especially the ones that can be a little bit self-critical or you know, a lot of people are obviously self-critical, but, you know, I, I, I like to remind them, hold on a minute here now. Let's not forget that you're a really good mum to your kids and that you're, you know, taking on all this pressure and responsibility in your job to be able to give them the life that they want. And, you know, you're a good wife and, you know, you're uh, a good person. Maybe you do some volunteer, like, you know, Reminding them and affirming them of their strengths and their characteristics and their attributes that are good, you know, because people oftentimes will not do that for themselves, certainly, and potentially they they lead a life where maybe not many other people do that for them. And if you can be the person that actually comes in and reminds them of, you know, the type of person that they are and their strengths and their positive attributes, that's a fantastic characteristic of a good coach. able to do that for your clients as well as obviously providing them with the information around how to eat more protein and get more get better quality sleep etc etc etc
1: yeah one of your biggest jobs will be to highlight those bright spots for them because as you said people people are people are more naturally self-critical so they're not going to point that stuff out um necessarily so if you help them celebrate those wins those little wins like they may not acknowledge for anything you know it's yeah you can help them really build up their sort of self esteem and sense of self efficacy um and being like the objectivity that a coach brings to the table is one of the most important aspects i think you know someone there who's not you who's reviewing your week you know just gives you a much more balanced perspective on it um that is incredibly useful and that's i think that's one of the most useful things at the coaching process is like having that objective feedback because you know an example i use a lot for this is like you know someone could have a subjectively difficult week for whatever is going on in their lives at the time. But they could still do all the things that they were supposed to do. It just felt harder. And you know, there was other things going on that meant the week wasn't as good. But I often say that you know people people view the week depending on what glasses they're wearing at the time. All right. So if everything was a bit chaotic that week, then that's how you see everything. And you you kind of miss the fact that like, oh yeah, but I still got my training sessions done and oh I still ate well and I still hit my targets it's like so so what like yeah okay things were chaotic makes things a little more difficult but you still did what you needed to do um and just being able to like take people back and, and help, help them see, get a perspective on things that doesn't uh you know because I think people get lost in moments and day and like singular days so they they have one bad day and that's how they view the week rather than there being like six other days that actually went pretty well, but they, they just will struggle to see that. And that's one of the things you teach people as a coach, teach people to be more objective uh, and take a, a, you know, a little bit more zoomed out view of, of things when they find themselves in those situations. Cause like, you know, obviously how you, how you feel on a given day will greatly and can greatly greatly influence your, your perception of it.
0: Yeah, for sure, because like you no know, a good example of this is like where a client might have a bit of a weight spike over a few days. And you know, especially if you have like uh if you have a rocky relationship with the scales. You know, you hop on the scales and your weight's up by a kilo. Alarm bells ring and then you know, people get very upset by that. But oftentimes it's a case of, Okay, this is a spike, but like let's actually look at your we trajectory across a week or across a, a month in many cases, you know, especially for women that have to deal with a lot of menstrual cycle related water attention. You have to kind of look at things across months rather than, than days. Um, and helping people sort of see the wider picture is, is, is very, very key. Um, you know, because I think people are, very much at the mercy of uh cognitive distortions and errors in their thinking, especially when it comes to when we're when we're working with people that have issues with their food, disordered eating patterns, etc., emotional eating. These are kind of things that people struggle with in, in terms of like just their their thinking is irrational or they are in a thought pattern that's very difficult for them to detach from. But if you as a coach can sort of come in and say, well, hold on a minute now, like let's let's look at this from a different perspective. Let's try and frame this differently. You know, as you say, it could be a case of, I had a shit week. And it's like, well, what's the categorization of a shit week? It's like, well, I missed two of my training sessions. Yeah, but you still got four training sessions in. And let's also consider the fact that you had this random circumstance that happened, that was difficult, that, you know, that made the circumstances difficult for you. Like I'll often, like clients will often come to me and say, I had a bad week. I didn't make any progress. Um, and I'll say to them, yeah, but you didn't regress. And that whenever we consider the circumstances of like, you had all this life stress going on, I would actually consider that a win the fact that you were able to just maintain just coast along while also dealing with all this other shit that you had going on you know and i think that's a that's a skill as a coach as well Is you know you're not you're not blowing smoke up their ass but i i do think in terms of how how people lean i feel like people generally lean towards the negative like we ha- we all have a negativity bias right that's sort of inherent within our psychology right um, but people will more so lean to to the negative, and you know if you can sort of help them take a better view of things overall, then it 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 sort of helps them keep them on the straight and narrow in a sense, you know um now with that, this is that this will actually open up another question for you, Brian. um what some things? That you would do if a client is not getting the results that they would expect, or you know, not adhering to the plan in some capacity. What's kind of some main considerations there?
1: Yeah, I had this conversation with a a coaching client of mine who's also a coach, so playing the coachception kind of mentor role as well. Um, so they, they brought a question based on a question to me, um, about one of their clients. So you have to get curious about why they may not be adhering, you know, that's, that's the main thing. It's, it's again, you have to remove that judgmental hat and to say, Oh, this person's just not doing what I'm telling them to do. And this is a disaster. And why aren't they doing it? Like there's a reason they're not doing it. So again, having dialogue with them about why that might be is going to open you know the chest that has the answers to that conundrum. Like in terms of why aren't they adhering, why aren't they getting results? Um, you know, there's obviously some there's something about what you're trying to get them to do that is not working. And it's up to you as a coach to figure out why. And I know you had this noted on your list, Dean, that assume that you are the problem, you as the coach are the problem first, right? And that you are at fault first before trying to shift onus onto the client. Cause like sometimes it will be on their side, but the vast, vast, vast majority of the time, there's something on your side as a coach that you can do to help facilitate the change that we're actually looking for. So you have to understand get an understanding of why why this is proving difficult. and by asking open-ended questions as you, as you talked about earlier, you know that will help steer the conversation around that and you'll get an understanding as to why that is and then you can make adjustments that will hopefully overcome the problem. um you know, so things like you know what are they what are they sacrificing by? making those changes you know if if they are prone to comfort eating and you've given them say tools to deal with that but what have you and they're not and maybe it's not working They're not doing it it's like maybe consider that they have to there is a loss there's something at stake by them not comfort eating because that's been a reliable thing in their lives almost like a friend for however many years and that they actually have to prepare for the loss of that and they may they maybe have not thought about that you know but it is underlying in their psychology that okay you know if I'm gonna do this then that's a part of me that I have to let go and have I actually thought about that and, and faced up to that prospect and that you know that applies to many many different types of habit change right um but that's just an example that I would see. Uh, that's an example that came up this week, but it it is fairly common in, in that sort of uh, client base. So, you know, you can ask them things like, "What would be good? What would be good about not changing this behavior, and what would be bad about changing this behavior?" And that will give you really good insight to the the underlying underlying motivations that are at play here, um, and and base- potentially where the limitations are arising. Um, And, you know, again, by by letting the client talk about this, you are giving them an opportunity to figure this stuff out for themselves. And I won't say call themselves out, but, you know, in that territory, you know, when you get someone to say. What's what would be good about, you know, what would be good about uh, not binge eating and what would be bad about or what would be good about. uh, I'm getting mixed up in my own my own question here but if you if you ask someone you know what's what'd be bad about stopping binge eating and what would be good about continuing to do it there it is there I've collected my thoughts Um, they'll quickly see they're like oh, okay look I'm not really thinking about this properly but until you give them space to actually relay that and, and have space to talk about that and think about it they may not come to that conclusion so you're helping them direct more self-awareness and um then solve the problem and then you then you of course say okay so what do you think we can do here then what's what's something that would be doable you know because you've had this point that you know adherence hasn't been good so can we scale that back somehow or can we modify it so that it is more doable but unless you ask the person those kind of questions and figure out where they're at in relation to this behavior you just won't know is that a is that a fair answer dean do you do you have anything you want excuse me you want to add
0: that's very fair I think um you know very interesting part of what you said there is like you know when it comes to like comforting or whatever it is that's serving them in some capacity you know like I think as a coach, you have to understand that Everything that we do serves us in some capacity, even the bad habits, right? Someone's smoking that relieves stress for them, it gives them a little bit of a nicotine buzz. They have formed a habit of smoking after they have their dinner in the evening. Yes, they may simultaneously know that it's killing them, but it's still serving a function for them. Same thing with emotional eating, same thing with procrastination. You know, procrastination when you know like if you're procrastinating over something that's still serving a function of like it is giving you a little bit of short-term relief out of doing the thing that you're doing maybe that out of doing the thing that you're supposed to be doing and maybe that's out of a little bit of fear or anxiety that you may have um other examples you know even if it's kind of like as i say, motivational interviewing comes from drug addiction Drugs and alcohol abuse, drug and alcohol abuse is it's serving a function for these people. And it's it's the same thing with any negative behavior. People are not just doing it for the crack. You know? Yeah. Like it's it's do, like they're doing it for a reason. And if you can sort of figure out right what's the what's the potential reason for this, and then again, in a very non-judgmental, open, curious way, um, and this is kind of where the tonality of your voice can be very important as well when you're speaking with someone if if you are speaking with someone um you know like you you, you, this is where you kind of have to be delicate with your communications and because one of the things that as we discussed earlier with regards to like open questions and closed questions and, and stuff like that you can change how someone reacts to a response like their response could be totally different based on your tonality of voice. Like you know, you could have like a a question that you ask them, and it come it could come across as genuine, and they may feel like you're you're um curious and you really want to know and you care, or it could come off it could come off as totally sarcastic, and then that would completely damage the relationship, and 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 they would kind of get a sense that oh, he's sort of he's called me out here in a sense, you know, um. But yeah, overall, when it comes to clients, that's not ad, not adhering like that's everything that you said is is kind of I will always try and figure out brainstorm, um, where I may have gone wrong, or what I can do, and even if it is downsizing the thing a little bit, like as I was saying earlier, like you may, you may have made an assessment with the client at the start that like tracking calories is really good, and they may have told you that tracking calories is really good for them, and. Um, you know, it's they have experience with it before and they had like success with it in the past, but you know, upon further investigation <clears throat> you may realize that it's it's actually not a good approach for them. And potentially doing something that is less tedious um for them may actually be more useful. Um, sort of like bridging the gap between the effort that is required for them to engage in the habit. You know, like if it's a case of you tell you, you give them eight habits to implement across a week. It's like, well, maybe that's too much. Maybe the idea of having to do all of those eight habits is t- so overwhelming to the client that they're just, that they're just like, fuck it, I'm not going to do it at all. Whereas if you sort of say, well, look, I think maybe a maybe a better way of doing this potentially would be how about we we we, we don't worry about these four habits until maybe we'll, we'll, we'll cover them at another stage. How about we just work on these two or three that you like and um, that you feel is more realistic for you to implement rather than sort of having this big overwhelming amount of stuff and again that just kind of comes down to getting an idea of what type of person they are because uh, something that's like we probably won't have time to cover everything that we wanted to in this podcast but you know the different personality types is also a key consideration here you know you'll you'll have some people that will just want the information and will want maybe not that much communication you'll have some people that will love the information and are really you know want to know the why behind everything and would be quite happy for you to send them over like research papers and studies and you know they love all the graphs and all the rest of it and then you have other people that are maybe they really like novelty you know it's it's kind of like implementing new things and fresh things to them frequently enough sort of keeps the keeps the process interesting for them and then of course you have people that you know really just need your social support in a sense, you know, they just need a lot of support. They, they, they like to have a lot of communication with you. And oftentimes, you know, it's not necessarily a deficit. This is one of those clients. It's often not a deficit of knowledge that's holding them back. It's themselves, you know, and in a sense that if you can just be there for them and listen to them and show them the way in a sense and affirm to them that they can do this and they have the ability oftentimes that's all that they need they don't actually need you to come in and tell them about calories and macros and how to optimize xyz it's just a case of like oh i can actually do this and here's a a realistic route for me to go down so that i actually can do this you know so the different personality types and recognizing who you're working with is also a key consideration and then that obviously leads into um You know how you might structure a particular strategy and structure your communication, which then increases the chance of a client, a client efficacy and and client's ability to adhere to the strategy that you have laid out with them.
1: Yeah, yeah. As I said, we can't go into all the different personality types and and coaching styles you might apply, because as you said, there there is a variety. Um. And I think you know you might you might end up attracting clients depending on how you present yourself. You know you might attract certain types of people, right? That makes I think perfect sense. Um, but yeah, you you can you have to tailor the the approach to the person that's in front of you because you know there's definitely some clients that like you know if you're just gonna give them all the information in the world more than what they need and actually detracts from the their perception of the service because you know it means that oh they have to watch you know an extra 10 minutes of you talking about whatever it is or you know read through three more paragraphs than were necessary for what they actually needed and wanted um and i think that's definitely something i probably struggle with uh up until I suppose not that long ago, I get like you, you know, every client you coach teaches you something basically. Um, but you know, I would have definitely in, initially just based on like my training and, and how I learned to coach people. I would like to be very hands on and I like lots of communication and I probably enjoy those types of client coach relationships the most. Um, we also have to be okay with just kind of letting go of some of that. If the person is doing really well, they're getting results, you're there for them when they need you, then you are doing your job and you don't have to, you know, I think I think this uh, idea of over-delivering, right? It's, it's always in the back of your mind. Um, but you're trying to over-deliver on the result and the service and that doesn't always mean giving more. It's about knowing how to tailor and tweak things to best serve the person that you're working with.
0: Yeah. And something that I will often do with clients as well, especially in the early stages of, of things, but kind of just throughout the process. I'll I'll ask them, how am I doing things? How would you rate my coaching? Is there anything that you would like to see more or less of from me? You know, if you're a coach, don't be afraid to, to get to get your clients to critique the way you're doing things because you know if if they say no look at it's it's fucking great love that um love everything that you do it's it's great like obviously that's really really nice but if it's a case of like yeah i'm not really into these um emails as much not much of a reader love the voice notes that you send me not a fan of these paragraphs that you send me at the end of the check-in and then you might be able to say well how would you prefer would you would you prefer then if i sent all of your check-in feedback through a voice note and then they'd be like you know what that would be actually fantastic because I actually really like just going for a walk and listening to your check-in feedback rather than having to read this big paragraph of stuff. And, you know, another client might be the complete opposite. They might fucking hear, they might, they might listen to a boy from Monaghan and think, I can't fucking stand this boy's accent, right? It's, it's insufferable. Like what sort (laughs) of like, what sort of a slack jawed yokel is he? You can't say these (laughs) words correctly, right? So they might just prefer... <laughs> to to read um paragraphs that you write. You know, so this is kind of where you um have to tailor it to the client. But don't be afraid to ask for feedback on how you're doing things because that's how you tailor it to them, but you also get feedback for yourself and for future clients as well. You know, it has to be an iterative process. As like as as I said to one of the one of the girls that I was talking about, you know, developing a coaching practice is no one knows everything. We're all on a journey of improvement. But, you know, we, we do want to try and take feedback that we get from from all the different sources and, try and to, and then try and improve on that and make sure that, yeah, if you make a mistake, that's, that's grand, you made a mistake, but let's not try and make the same mistake twice. You know, you learn from that mistake or you learn from the feedback that you get. Well, that feedback is positive or negative slash constructive criticism.
1: Yeah. It'll just help you refine your your coaching skills and your process um, and help you ultimately do a better job because, you know, if you, if you take that kind of, if you get that feedback, first of all, and then you take it on board, the next person to come and work with you will have even better things to say about the service, you know? So yeah, you shouldn't be afraid to, to ask for feedback. I mean, you know, hopefully that the, the person will give you kind of objective feedback. I mean, I, yeah, I mean because like someone may not want to criticize your service because they like you and they've had a really they're enjoying the coaching, but you know, you just have to again emphasize that look, this is a, a non-judgmental space and you know it's not gonna like not, not gonna take it personally um if you think that you know coaching is better delivered through an app than uh you know emails or a spreadsheet or something like this. You know, it's, it's good feedback to get. All feedback is, is good feedback in a lot of ways, um, especially in this context. So, yeah, I think we'll have to wrap that up there, Dean, because uh, mm. this has been a long episode already. Um, yeah,
0: we could probably do a part two to this. What? Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah, we'll see see what people think of this one. So if you yeah. like this episode and you, this has been helpful to you, um, please do let us know then, and then potentially we can get a part two together um but you know as as we've just been talking about coincidentally feedback is helpful so if you have feedback on the podcast for us uh, we would welcome it um a few closing things the usual stuff uh we at triage have coaching spaces available for online coaching whether you need help with your nutrition and lifestyle like myself and and dean do or you want also training programming or also want uh help with rehabilitation and injury management pain management uh, we have all those things built into the services that we offer so if you need help in any of those you can contact us to find out more and um, if you've got female health specific issues you know Nicola can help you with that or the rest of us depending on what they are um, so yeah there's this coaching spaces available and as of this week we've also launched our level one nutrition certification and course right which is very exciting so this is for people who want to upskill develop their nutrition knowledge and then be able to get excellent results with people that they work with or with themselves you know maybe you do the course and you don't actually intend to coach people but you want to have a really good understanding of how this stuff works and how to actually apply it to people even if that is just yourself so yeah, we're very excited about this. The course has just launched. Um, you know, you find information about that on, on our website. But, you know, even the things like we talked about today, you know, in terms of how to coach people, you know, if you want to learn more of those skills and the specifics of it, as well as having an excellent foundation in nutrition knowledge, um, then that could be a great thing for you to do. So take a look at it um and let us know what you think.
0: Yeah, guys, thank you for listening. If you liked it, share it around. Send it to people as you think might find it useful. Um, and yeah, I think we'll leave it there. Catch you in the next one. Peace.